Connor Esiason, and you're listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast presented by the Boomer Esiason Foundation and GunnerEsiason.com. This podcast series has been made possible by Vertex, Novartis, Digital Credit Union, and Atlantic Health. The views expressed on Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast are that of Gunnar Esiason, Tiffany Rich, and guests, and not necessarily those of the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Nothing in this podcast series should be considered medical advice. Such advice can only be given by a physician who's experienced with cystic fibrosis. The Boomer Esiason Foundation, Gunnar Esiason, Tiffany Rich, and guests cannot be held responsible for any damage which may result from using the information on this podcast without the permission of your medical doctor. You're listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast. All right, hey everyone, it's Gunnar Esiason. Tiffany Rich is away this week. She is at uh, Disney World in Florida, so she has a much-needed week off. But today I am joined by a very, very special guest, Elsie Tellier. She is in her final year at Harvard University right now in Boston. Uh, Elsie, welcome to the podcast, uh, and thank you for joining. And why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? Hey, so my name's Elsie. I'm 21 years old, turning 22 next month. I am currently a senior at Harvard, but I'm originally from Canada. I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, just here in the States as a guest. <laughs> well, you're, you're actually part of a very special group of uh, guests now on the podcast. You're our second Canadian, so congratulations to you oh, in, being, in joining that uh, very, very exclusive group of Canadians to be uh, guests on the podcast. We're, we're, the podcast is global, so uh, we, we, we definitely don't discriminate between nationalities. Um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've been looking forward to this interview for a while, Elsie, because, you, you know, you're kind of, you put yourself out there, you put your CF out there uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and, and why, why don't you tell people a little bit about that? You know, some of the disabilities advocacy you've been doing, uh, as well as, um, you, know, you know, some of the, 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 the awareness you've been bringing to cystic fibrosis. Yeah, so I've always been really passionate about being open with my CF. It was something that, like, I felt really that helped me throughout high school and into college that, you know, the more people were, you know, knew about my disease, the more they were able to help me or be compassionate. Um in high school, I was really open. I, well, like on one hand, I was also the an ambassador for the Children's Wish Foundation. So that's kind of how I started this whole journey of being, you know, a speaker and being really open. Children's Wish is like the Canadian version of Make-A-Wish, just <laughs> like that would clarify things. And so I got a wish. I did go to Disney World, so I'm very jealous of Tiffany right now. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I started doing talks for them and, you know, ex- you know, pe- CF is not something a lot of people know about, like cancer. I mean, for really obvious reasons, it's more prevalent. It's, you know, a lot of people know somebody with cancer, whereas with CF, you know, not many people know someone with mm-hmm. CF. And so for me, it was important to, you know, explain what I have and talk about it. And in high school, like, it, an easy way to describe me is I'm a big nerd. <laughs> so, like, my whole thing was, like, I go to school and then I'm sick. So, like, if I wasn't in school, I was, you know, busy with CF and being sick, you know, I missed months of school each year, but I was, I love school. And in order to kind of bridge that gap between being sick and going to school, I had to be really open with my, you know, my teachers and my classmates. And, you know, I went to a Canadian public school. So, you know, teachers were able to accommodate me by having, you know, the school library had an iPad and they would pass the iPad from class to class so I could attend classes via Skype. And that wouldn't have happened if I, you know, wasn't able to be really open about CF. And then over time, that translated pretty easily into my online presence. I had a Tumblr since 2010. 
Wow, I'm old now. Uh, <laughs> um, it was a fandom Twitter, a fandom Tumblr at start, but you know, it became a personal Tumblr over time. And then, you know, I was really open about it on my Instagram and on my Twitter. And then um, I had a post that went viral, so I got a lot of followers. And I was like, well, good opportunity. This is a teaching moment for me because <laughs> Twitter had never been my been my big thing. Instagram's my baby. And so it was Tumblr. So Twitter was a is a new addition to my social media family. They're all <laughs> my kids. I, I treat each account like a child. So, <laughs> so like I you know I just it was really easy, and I really like talking to other CFers. Like my you know I was never I I you know my friends tease me. I'm actually not that good at technology. Um, I'm, I'm like a little old person. So like, and I was never big on CF forms and stuff like that, mostly cause I could never figure out forms. Uh, so like Tumblr became like the first place where I started to meet other CFers and mostly they found me because my, my username dropping that in is I am 65 pink roses. So CFers would get the 65 roses, whereas like now I get endless questions of what the heck 65 roses is, but other people would be like, Oh, Hey, like you know, I see you, are you a CFer? And, you know, I would, I started making friends through there and then that continued on onto Twitter and Instagram. And, um, I'm not the first student at Harvard to have CF. I, I'm the first international. I mean, Canada is only somewhat international. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, not many of us have had it. And I had a really tough time my first year here. Um, I'm now the president of the Harvard College Disability Alliance, which formed in part because Harvard used, I mean, they're still pretty bad, but like they used to have this disability office that everyone got fired from because I'm probably, Harvard maybe doesn't want to hear this, but it's the truth that everyone got fired from because they were being really discriminatory. Like I came in here and they just like, I had to give them like this, you know, on the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation website, mm-hmm. great resource. They have like guides that you can give to like elementary school teachers and things like that, or how to teach your classmates. Yeah, I had to give that to them because they just wouldn't believe me about anything. They were like, "That sounds fake. Like, why would you? Why? Why is smoke a concern? Why can't you be near a fireplace?" Like, <laughs> it's definitely a bit of a definitely not an isolated incident. I mean, I remember having to do some more thing at Boston College, where I you know went into the disabilities office and was like, "Here are my knees." And it like initially for my first two years, it was like pulling teeth. And then finally something happened where they just, I came around to like, to my needs. They, they recognized that I was a different person, you know, that I had very special and unique needs. And um, to that point, I know other people with, with CF have gone to BC and have had similar experiences with the disability office. And it's, 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 it, what you're, t- what you're talking about, it just, it, it, I, I can empathize with in such a big way. Um, and it's, 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 it's a, a lot about what you said earlier, where not a lot of people know what cystic fibrosis is and, you know, some of our needs. Um, and, and it's definitely one of those things that sort of is not, not necessarily overlooked, but I guess it's just not something that's readily understood. Um, so I, so I can totally empathize with that. Yeah. And I think another thing is that CF, you know, translates differently in every person, you know, no, no two CFers are exactly the same, you know, our health can be at very different places. Like maybe like our lung, one person's lung function is better, but they're really, their, their GI tract is just a nightmare. or something like that you know what I mean like you Mm -hmm. know everybody has different levels of health and therefore has different needs like something that I have I have a really high sensitivity to like um, chemical cleaners and smoke like I also have asthma so like you know I have to be really careful about that CFers don't necessarily have that 
problem. Um, whereas like for me, like someone lighting a candle next door can be, even that can be an issue for me. Mm -hmm. So like that was something that no one understood. And you know, the best thing that worked for me is I actually just talking to my neighbors in my dorm, talking to the proctor or like, you know, the RA who's on the floor. Um, cause like another thing is my professors have been wonderful. I've been really blessed in that, in that, like, you know, I tell my, you know, my, 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 you know, my plan, and I've done this since middle school is, you know, the first day of school, I go up to the professors or the teachers and I introduce myself. You know, I say, you know, I have CF, here's what this is. I try to explain it and I, I offer people the option to Google it. But as like we, you've talked about on the podcast before, and as many CFers know, like Google's not the best help when it comes to CF. It's either very doomsday or very blase. So there's no there's no mm -hmm. in between. It's either it's fine or like death is imminent. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's an, it, you know, I like to explain it myself and they usually get it. And I think, I mean, what's really helped my, you know, per, I think one thing that's to my benefit is um, I'm a big nerd. Like I'm, I am, you know, a fully self-admitted, you know, teacher's pet. I, <laughs> I sit, I love sitting in the like first row. Um, I mean, like, that that was a thing for me throughout high school is, you know, like, I think every CF, I often get the question of, like, how do I manage school with CF or how do, you know, people ask me, like, even other people with different chronic illnesses ask me that because, you know, they see me at Harvard and they're like, how have you done so well? And, you know, a lot of it is just kind of being open and being really willing to talk about it and getting help and accommodations when I need it. But part of it is also just, like, even if I didn't have CF, um, which I can't imagine a life without CF because that's a part of me at this point but like I'm I would have already been a big nerd and a, really into school so that also really helped because like I didn't like you know in high school I didn't really have a life outside school like I went to school I ate lunch in my teacher's room because um, I'm still friends with my teachers like shout out to my high school English teacher um, and then came home and like had you know my family but you know like I didn't really do extracurriculars so I'm like for a lot of CFers, I'm like, you know, go with your strengths. If you're, if you would rather, you know, be putting energy into an extracurricular at school, even if you're not getting straight A's, like, be you. Like, CF doesn't, you know, is not a prerequisite to being a big nerd like me. <laughs> uh -huh. So, I mean, it sounds like you, you're, you're embodying the sentiment that there, there's no better advocate for yourself than, than you. And yes. uh, I, I'm wondering, wh where did you pick up that skill? You know, what, was that something your, your parents taught you? Was that something that you just kind of learned on your own? Because not everyone with CF is like that, and it's something that people have to learn. I, I always say that advocacy and learning how to talk about CF is a skill. Um, and yeah. The fact that, you know, we spoke about this uh, a few months ago on the podcast uh, when we were covering National Cystic, uh, the North American Cystic Fibrosis Conference, and they called it disease disclosure, and they actually classified it as a skill at the conference. Uh, so I, I'm wondering if you, A, think it's a skill, and B, where did you pick that skill up? Yeah. Well, firstly, I do really believe it's a skill. It's something that I'm still perfecting, and I'm not, I don't think it'll ever be perfect, but I've definitely improved over time. Mm -hmm. It's something that you can learn with practice. But I think I really picked it up from my family. So I have an interesting situation where, um, or just a unique one, <laughs> um, where my birth mother passed away when I was born. So I was raised by my father, um, but also by my godmother, um, who is a pediatrician. And she's from Mexico. So she's a Mexican and she immigrated to Canada. She promised my mother that if anything happened to her, she'd take care of my sister and me. So 
Um, she came from, like, after my mom passed away, she came from Mexico to Canada to help raise me and my sister. And she had the background of being a pediatrician in Mexico, and she served, um, she ran, like, she did free clinics and really served a poor community for many years, um, especially with serving, like, women who worked in sweatshops. Um, and so her perspective on illness was, like, you know, you have to be really honest and upfront and, you know, I was always raised with this mentality that like, you're not normal, um, Mm -hmm. in a good, like in a good way, but just like, you're not normal. You have this disease. That's okay. You can do, you know, you can do a lot of things. There's certain things you can't do and you need to be really honest about that. And that was something like she would always be upfront. And when I was little and I couldn't advocate for myself, she was the one advocating for me. So like, that was something I kind of learned through, you know, monkey see monkey do, you know, I I saw her doing that. And then I had to learn how to emulate that. And it helped that, you know, a lot of the times I was translating for her as a child, because like, I don't really speak Spanish now, I can understand it, but her English wasn't good. So I had to help her. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, I, you know, I went into high school. So like, I, you know, I have, you know, I had that particular, like cultural background anyways. Um, So like, you know, not only was I, you know, from a cultural background where, you know, um, I, you know, I wasn't big on, we were very focused on school. And, um, you know, that was kind of my priority. Um, So like, I really kind of took that in and was very open about like, this is me, this is who I am. And that's okay. Because like, I, I think this, I think it might, it's a bit of a cultural difference in some ways, but I think it's also just my particular family, but kind of, you know, I was raised with a very medical understanding of mm-hmm. CF in a good way. Um, honestly, that's one of the things I attribute to my health being a bit better than some of my friends. I mean, there's various, various reasons, but like, um, thankfully I was, you know, I had the situation where my aunt, like, for example, so she worked like in Mexico, it's, you have to pay for medicine. And poor people cannot really afford to get tests. So, for example, like when I was little, I had pneumonia and my auntie knew right away I had pneumonia because she's seen pneumonia. She's seen TB. That's something that, you know, she, you know, is very aware of, like the clinical signs of respiratory distress. And she was like, oh, that's that's pneumonia. And I just remember we went to the emergency room four times because no one would believe that I had pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Um, and until one respirologist finally was like, oh yeah, that's actually pneumonia. It's like, you know, they were like, oh, she just has a cold. And so one, I had the benefit of catching things very early. So that's helped really reduce a lot of lung scarring. I'm thankful, but I have, I had to constantly see my aunt fight to have basic things recognized. And that's something where I was like, I really realized that sometimes it has to be a fight. Um, mm-hmm. it, it depends. I'm, I'm really not, not in a mean way, like jealous of people who kind of had better experiences with the medical system. Canada isn't bad. Canada's very good, but I do come from the experience of coming from a smaller city. Like we didn't even have a pediatric gastroenterologist for like 10 years. You know, there's very limited specialists. They don't have a lot of time. Like our CF team was like spread across being a director of three different programs and a professor and like just had no time. They were constantly losing my file. They didn't really have any idea who I was. So a lot of my healthcare came down to me and my aunt. And then when I came into clinic, I had to explain who I was and explain what I needed. And so I was really forced into the position of having to be aware of what I had, aware of my needs and having to push back against people who, Mm -hmm. who didn't, believe me. Um, 
And so it's improved over time. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very goal oriented person. And so if I had a goal and, you know, my accessibility needs came in the way, I had to really learn how to fight that. And I think it's, it's something anyone can learn. I had the advantage of, you know, being forced to, in some ways it's an advantage, some ways it sucked, that I had to fight really young and fight for many years. So I've been really good at it. But I think it's a lesson for every CFR, especially as, you know, we reach adulthood. And I feel like, you know, a lot of times, sometimes it can feel like adult services for CF is lacking because it still sometimes feels like a kid-oriented disease. I don't know if you feel like that sometimes. But yeah, preach. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I feel like it's kind of hard because, you know, clinics don't really emphasize that idea of, like, independence and you need to learn how to advocate for yourself. And I think, you know, it's something that it's okay if, you know, you don't really know how to do it when you're 18, but it's something you can learn over time. Like, that was something I have a friend at Harvard who's now, you know, on leave to on the transplant list, but she came in and she had a hard time because she didn't really know what she needed to advocate for herself for. And, you know, it was something that was new to her. But, you know, over the course of the semester, she learned how to. Um, whereas, like, I had the experience of coming in and being like, this is what I need. I need a single room and a single bathroom and, like, don't put me near any smoke. Uh, mm-hmm. And, like, that's what I need. Whereas, you know, kids are still learning and, you know, it, it depends on everybody's family situation. But, I think I wouldn't be afraid to, you know, start, you know, you can start any time, you know, you don't have to be super skilled at advocacy. Um, I think you can and take lessons from how other people do it. Mm-hmm. If you need help, talk, reach out to your other CF friends. It's not a conversation I think we have that often, but I think it's something that we have that kind of community knowledge of like, how do you talk to people? Who should you talk to? And I think that's something that we should be willing to share with each other. Um, yeah, you're, I mean, yeah. You're, you made a good point in saying that <clears throat> how you were able to, you know, you know, emulate your your aunt when she was advocating for you. And I remember whenever uh, my parents were doing that uh, on my behalf, they always made sure that I was standing right there next to them, right, so that I was mm-hmm. a witness to what they were doing for me. You know, whenever they were talking to my football coaches, my hockey coaches, my teachers, or whomever else, I was always standing right next to either my mom or my dad while they were explaining cystic fibrosis in the most basic of ways to people so that when I was older, I'd be able to do it myself. So you made a very good point there. Um, you know, the, we covered a lot and I, I want to kind of dissect it a little bit at a time here. Um, yeah. You know, it, you make a good point about how uh, right now we're not totally adult oriented in cystic fibrosis. And I, I have a few theories on that. You know, first, um, you know, we have to remember that uh, we're, we're finally in the age where, where people with cystic fibrosis generally aren't you know, dying very young. Occasionally there are people who do. And when I say very young, I mean before adulthood. Yeah. And, you know, back, back in the days when, when that was the norm, you know, patient inclusion wasn't really a, uh, a topic or it wasn't really even something that was a thought because, you know, patients weren't reaching the age where they could do that for themselves. And, you know, now all of a sudden we're there. And I, and I do think that within the next year or two, and, and as people start to get healthier, as hopefully some of these medications start to get approved by the FDA, you know, you're going to start seeing a lot of patients who are very, very healthy. Uh, for the first time in, in the history of cystic fibrosis. And what those people are going to want to do is they're going to want to be able to take big part, you know, take a massive part of uh, uh, of the uh, the trajectory of the disease, you know, the way things are going, the decision-making. And I'm not sure the organizations that are, you know, uh, representing cystic fibrosis patients are prepared for that. You know, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, 
caregivers and pediatricians are willing to give up the power uh, that they, they that they've had for so many years to the patients. There's going to be some sort of struggle that's coming where patients are going to want to have the, this position of power because, like you said yourself, you know, adults are kind of an still an afterthought. Although there are now more of us than there are pediatric patients. Uh, so, you know, you made an interesting point there, and I, I definitely agree with you. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think we it, it all comes down to recognizing that, uh, yes, yeah, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation was founded by caregivers and pediatricians. You know, that's who that's who started the organization, and, and it's going to have to transition, just like the, the patient community is going through a transition itself right now. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure you can say the same of Cystic Fibrosis Canada, too. Um, yeah. You know, I also have another question for you is, you know, you're talking mm-hmm. about coming from a very small city, you know, Winnipeg, which I've actually been to, believe it or not, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, going from care in, in Winnipeg to all of a sudden now you're in Boston and Boston is like one of the CF hubs of the world. You know, there's, there, there are however many clinics there are in, in Boston. I was actually a patient at Boston Children's for a few years during my years at Boston College. So I, I wonder what was it like to transition clinics in, in that respect? Because I know you you do get followed in in Boston as as most college students do uh, when they when they go somewhere else. And and I also do want to say real quick that you know I think it, if patients have the ability for moving to a different city or if they're within reach of another cystic fibrosis clinic, getting multiple opinions about your CF from different care providers is essential. Because just like you said, you you dealt with the you know the frustration and anxiety and and, and everything that comes with the healthcare system that really isn't designed for patients you know it's kind of like there. i kind of see the healthcare system as a place where like where people just love to say no you know yeah and you know you, you very you, you said it very well and very eloquently so i'm wondering what it was like to finally go somewhere else and have another set of cfis look at you you know what was that like mm-hmm. well for me it was a really interesting transition because before i even came to boston i like my home hospital had a pretty strict, you know, policy on like moving from pediatrics to adults. So like at 17, I had just switched over to adult CF clinic um, and had a much better experience. Like Mm -hmm. they were completely different team. And then, you know, within the next eight months, I was moving to Boston. And so I connected with the um, CF team at Mass General Hospital. And that was just like a whole different world. Like I like to describe the difference between Canadian hospitals and American hospitals is like imagine every doctor's office is like an orthodontist's office. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like Canadian, what do you mean by that? That's <laughs> like 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 Canadian hospitals are like at least where I'm from are like super bare bones. Like it's like not the best paint, just kind of like ugh, not very cute. So it's like it's like it's you know it's been around for many years. Whereas like. My experience in American hospitals have been like there's painting on paintings on the wall, there's carpet, <laughs> like they have like, you know, little systems where they, you know, they can say who's the next patient and things like that. I'm like, wow, you guys actually pay, you have the money for things sometimes. Um, <laughs> so like that was, you know, and, and my first I think because I, I connected with MGH like my first week in the States. And I think the nurses on the team just thought I was darling or something because I was just like when do I show my insurance card how do they know I have insurance are they going to kick me out if I don't have insurance I just had like no concept of like how that worked um and it was really good I think you know I actually haven't you know in the in the preceding years I didn't really connect much with MGH like you know a few phone calls were made if I was sick um and you know I had a few ER visits, but it was always to like the closer hospital, which is Mount Auburn Hospital. It's it's nice and quaint. Um, but I, honest, I ended up mostly just like 
going home and going to my Canadian CF clinic because um, it does cost some money. It's not that bad, but, it, you know, you still have to pay even if you're on an insurance plan. And, like, it was just a bit of a hassle and they didn't really know me. Um, so I didn't, that was like interesting where it's like, but it was nice to get a first, you know, have somebody like, it was an interesting experience just to kind of have them, someone who in the States, like have a totally fresh look at my file. And what I learned was like, wow, my file is completely just incomplete and incorrect. Most of the time, <laughs> what I've learned, I was like, wow, okay, that didn't happen. Or, you know, this did happen. Or I actually had, you know, either like, oh, you didn't have any infections. And I'll be like, oh, okay, no, I actually did have like three ex ex exacerbations that year, but okay. Um, so like that, that was really the big, you know, change for me where it's like, I feel like my true transition was in Canada because that's still what I consider my home clinic and who mm -hmm. I go back to. Cause you know, I, I go back for, I'm there all summer, I'm there in the winter and I can call them if I need to. So like, the transition switching from new eyes was like really nice because a large problem I had, you know, this isn't that common because most CFRs have the same have, you know, a few common mutations was I had like an unknown mutation, um, like where I was like, they identified mutations. Um, cause you know, I had the sweat chloride test and then when they did the genetics test, they're like, Oh, these are new. We don't really mm -hmm. know anything about these mutations. So because of that, my pediatric clinic was like, well, you're fine, I guess. They're like, you know, they were like, I guess you have atypical CF and, you know, we won't, whatever. And then they just like didn't deal with me because they were like, well, you don't look like you're, because like my, the pediatric clinic and also because we were small, they were basically like, if you're not really a death store, we're not really going to deal with you. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So a lot of our, my, like, you know, my preventative care and like just doing treatments was kind of up to me. Um, and then when I went to the adult clinic, they were a lot better about being like, oh, you have an interesting mutation, but you clearly still present CF and have CF. So that's fine. And they were like much better at actually just treating me like a CF patient. So that was like the interesting transition for me. And I know that's not really the norm for many people, but that was like the experience I had of kind mm -hmm. of being like, just brushed off by my pediatric clinic and then actually having like the adult clinic take me seriously and like recognize my problems. So like a lot of, for a lot of things, like I didn't even start taking, like a lot of people take a Meprazole. I didn't even start taking a Meprazole until I was like 19. And I was like, wow, this has vastly improved my ability to eat food. <laughs> um, just because like people never paid attention um to me at all which was that was kind of my transition story <laughs> mm -hmm. if that is one <laughs> yeah no i mean it, it, you're you're definitely showing how every cystic every devil every cystic fibrosis clinic is different and i remember um you know when i was at the age where i was thinking about going to adult um and and at my pediatric clinic the it wasn't quite like yours where it was a strict cutoff point it was more of a, supposed to be like a gradual change um but my my pediatric clinic my my final year in pediatrics you know we there's disagreement with the doctors and it just kind of the whole thing kind of fell apart and my transition to adult sort of did happen in a matter of a week. So um, I, 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 I kind of empathize with you there when, you, when you're talking about it, the, the sudden change, although mine was not supposed to be quite as sudden as, as it turned out to be. Um, and I remember like the very first thing I thought when I got to the adult side was, wow, this is a thousand times better than pediatric. And But I, I hear throughout the entire community that so many people are 
hesitant to leave their pediatric doctors because they've, you know, developed some sort of trust with their physician and, their, and the rest of the care team. Uh, and, 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 and they don't want to have to start over, quote unquote, start over with the adult side. And, and that's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's, it's just so different from clinic to clinic. You know, there's no standard as much as we want to believe there's a standard of care in CF. There really, there really is none. It's more of just a loose guideline than anything else. Um, but you know, I want to shift the conversation here. Um, you're, you're also a fashion blogger. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's kind sort of not really totally related to CF. Um, but I remember the first time I actually came across something about you, uh, was through that in the sense of your, your sort of the intersection of fashion blogging and, uh, your disability advocacy. And it was actually, I think it was around Halloween when correct me if I'm wrong, but you were princess Leia. Is that, is that right? Yes. You were princess Leia. Okay. So, I am a huge Star Wars guy, and sadly, my co-hosts are not. So, uh, I've been dying to talk about this on the podcast, but we just... You're in good company today. Yes, thank God. And I have not been able to get to this topic, but but now we're here, and it's like my Super Bowl. So, um, I want to know, let's talk a little bit about your your fashion blogging, and, uh, you know, I remember seeing the picture of you as Princess Leia in the wheelchair as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So, if you want to talk about that as well, because, you know, know, uh, wheelchair use isn't quite as common in cystic fibrosis, but, you know, I was kind of interested to see, you know, what you were doing and how you were making the best of it and everything. Um, you know, what, 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 let's go through that. Just, yeah. go, just go. <laughs> so first, yeah. So first we'll st- I'll touch on the wheelchair. So I'm not as much of a wheelchair user as I used to be. So I started using a chair because what had happened is I had a CF exacerbation. I had mm-hmm. chest infection that somehow traveled up to my vestibular system. So mm-hmm. that's my inner ear. And I got an infection <clears throat> in my inner ear. And so I had like, um, like terrible vertigo for years, like I like I had no balance, and um, apparently it's not that common in young people. It's something that can happen to the elderly, and apparently people with CF. <laughs> <laughs> so like I had just you know I had an infection that went in my inner ear. I had bad balance. I was in physio for years to kind of regain my balance, and I had transitioned. I was using forearm crutches for a long time just because I was like falling over. Like I was I felt like I was on a boat. Like that's kind of what my balance situation was like. Um, and so I had started to use a chair just because that was easier rather than trying to, you know, deal with, you know, wobbling all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I used a chair for a few years kind of in high school, like, you know, kids in high school usually see me on crutches because it'd be easier to get around. But for long distances, you know, I'd use a chair. It was also like in Canada and with our insurance plan, like we only, it's much different in the States where it's like, I only pay 10% of the cost of my chair. Uh Um, because like the chair is like $5,000 and we paid like 500, which was still quite a bit of money, but manageable for my family. So, you know, it was something where we're like, yeah, we can actually get this as a tool for you. Um, so, you know, I used the chair for a few years and over time my vestibular system improved with physio and, you know, healing because it's, it's not a permanent, you know, when you get an infection, it's usually not permanent. Um, it just lasts for a few years. Mm-hmm. And then, so I used my chair, I used my chair like freshman year at Harvard completely, which helped in terms and you know a lot of times but it was also a disaster because this is an old college and there's not that many wheelchair accessible places and I still have it and I use it I, I try not to use it because I do you know want to be able to walk and that, that helps me you know do my lung clearance exercise great guys um mm-hmm. in moderation but I do I have used it if I've like I also have like subfluxive joints so if I've twisted every ankle 
and every joint I'll use it or if I'm having a really bad exacerbation and my friends need to like push me from here to the clinic or something (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but yeah so like freshman year I started out you know I was using it all the time and so I wanted to dress up as Princess Leia for Halloween and that was like I'm a big Star Wars fan I grew up reading the extended universe which is now called legends because lucasfilm hates us um (laughs) and then you know i watched the clone wars and i grew up watching the original movies so i was a big star wars person a side note everyone thinks i only like star wars but i also really like star trek people don't get that i actually like both you can like both Um, Uh, see i disagree (laughs) with you there i'm not a trekkie whatsoever that is that, that is where i draw the line in the sand that's fine. Um, I did grow up I'm Canadian. We just had reruns, so I just I grew up on the original series. So I'm like Spock is a cool dude. Anyways, but I was I'm a bigger Star Wars person. I do like Trek though. So you know, pre- freshman year, Carrie Fisher came to campus because she got an award, and I was like, oh my god, my queen <laughs> is here. So the, I met her. And she was a sweetheart. She was really kind to me. Um, she, like, congratulated me on, like, being a Harvard student. And, you know, I had asked her a question about, you know, a disability advocacy because um, she had um, bipolar disorder. Um, and, you know, she was made a really good comment about, you know, not letting other people control your narrative um, and being the one to, you know, talk about. Um, your own disease and define it yourself and so we had a nice conversation she's very sweet so if anyone's wondering Carrie Fisher was a sweetheart she wasn't like secretly mean or anything like that (laughs) Um, and you know after that I was like you know I really you know I'd never really dabbled in actually doing cosplay or like you know costumes but you know I had me and my best friend um, Casey when he's one of my best friends he was like I also love Star Wars so every Halloween he's been my Luke and I've been Leia <laughs> and we did all the original series which was a lot of fun um, though I think not as many people recognized my Return of the Jedi look which was um, Leia when she was Bosch as a bounty hunter before uh-huh. she was Slave Leia because I, I, I drew the line at being Slave Leia that was not happening <laughs> <laughs> so I was like we're not, we're not doing that today Um, but no, yeah, so I, you know, that is actually kind of the start of fashion blogging was, you know, when I, for me, when I started using a chair, because I was like, you know, what if I'm going to go, you know, my first mobility device was an ugly cane that they gave me for like, just like not cute at all. Just like imagine the ugliest cane, keep that Uh in your head. That was it. Um, (laughs) and I was like, this is not going to (laughs) happen. I can't do this. So, you know, I got, I'm a very short person. I'm 4'11". So I got pediatric um, forearm crutches that were pink, and I was like, we can make this work. And so when I made the decision (laughs) to get a chair, I was like, let's make it cute. Pink's my favorite color. We're going to make it pink. And I got it from a Canadian company, and they were like, well, we only have pediatric pink. And I'm like, do it. Put it on it. I don't care. (laughs) Put it on the adult wheelchair. And it was a cute pink chair, and I had the benefit that my sister Evie um, is an artist. Um, she's like a professional artist, went to, you know, art school and works in Toronto. And she was like, you know, we can make this cuter. And so she painted both of my wheels. One side has roses for 65 roses. And the other side is space because Star Wars. And so I just (laughs) went around with a really cool chair and I'm like, we gotta, you know, we got it. My friends were like, we got to take pictures of this. And so that's kind of like, it blew up on Tumblr a few times. And people really thought it was cute. And so I was like, you know what? I like sharing fashion. I like fashion. It's always been a really fun outlet for me. 
Um, I, I always say that I'm a fashion blogger, but I could never be a quote unquote real fashion blogger. Cause like, I don't have the budget because uh, a lot of like big fashion bloggers require for people who don't fashion blog, a lot of big fashion bloggers kind of like, you know, follow up on the new season's trend and buy a bunch of new clothes because companies pay them to promote their season. Whereas like a lot of my clothes are like thrifts thrifted <laughs> so or just like on much discount so i'm more just giving inspiration on wh- gotcha. how you can style things so i'm like yeah could you buy this i don't know could you go to a thrift store in the middle of canada maybe um so but like you know i wanted to share that and i wanted to feel like there's not really you know there's a few people like it's starting you know it's a movement i think more and more people are trying to be like you know cf you know and is an invisible illness most of the time but you know sometimes it becomes visible when you have a mobility device and I wanted that to seem normal I didn't you know I wanted it I wanted to be cute I wanted to be fashionable so it was a really natural transition for me just to be like you know I love dressing up I love making things that aren't you know typically seen as pretty pretty um such as my chair and such as being in a chair um and so it was just like you know I'm gonna share I'm gonna post online and since then like Instagram's especially become my baby as I've said Mm -hmm. um and I am lucky to have friends who like take photos of me sometimes to show off my outfits and that's just kind of become a fun thing I've done with my sister and with my friends like Elsie has on a cute outfit I'm like big on like planning out the shoot and like you know having like you know a, a shot in mind and and doing mm-hmm. it there it's something that i think about when i'm like feeling really sick i'm like oh what could i mentally put my wardrobe together um, so like that's something that I, I you know just kind of become natural over time though it's been interesting because like i think i think a lot of cfers have had this experience where like sometimes people don't believe us when we talk about being disabled because like it's not visible that's kind of the Mm -hmm. crutch of having an Mm -hmm. invisible illness it's a benefit and a disadvantage at times so it was an interesting experience that you know when I was in a chair people validated me as disabled more Uh they also like didn't believe me sometimes because I was a you know I could stand which some people didn't understand that most actually most wheelchair users can stand and can walk a little um that was like just an interesting experience kind of going from being completely invisibly disabled to having a brief foray into being visibly disabled. Um, I think that also extends like to the patient community itself. Like, you know, you're, you're, when you're, when you're healthy with cystic fibrosis, you know, there are very few limitations, if any at all, you know, I I play ice hockey. I played football in in high school growing up and, you know, I did all these things. I went to college, I have a job, you know, and, and, you know, it's, I think within the patient community, there's this feeling that, you know, when we're healthy, we, we aren't, quote unquote, disabled. But there are things that we do need to make our lives, uh, you know, either more uh, even keel to the rest of the general population or also things that we need to do to uh, enhance the abilities that we have. Uh, and, and, you know, the, one of the things that I had growing up was, well, actually, you know, when I went to college was the, the conversation around, you know, the handicap parking pass. It was one of those yeah. things where I, <clears throat> I, I, I didn't feel like I deserved it. Like, I, was like, I don't need this. It's fine. And then finally, like one, you know, one time I had like a really nasty pulmonary exacerbation and both my parents and my doctor were like, see, we told you, you know, this is something that you're going to need when you're walking around the parking lot and you're not feeling well, you know, walking from the end of the parking lot to the movie theater is not 
an easy thing to do when you're dealing with pneumonia. So, you know, those are those are kind of learning moments that I had where, yeah, then I, you know, I slowly started to accept the fact that, yes, yeah, CF is a disability and I do have a disability that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that about the other, you know, people, you know, the third party people looking at people with cystic fibrosis. But I also think it extends to the patient population itself. Yeah, I agree. Like, I have seen people like, and I think that's a very valid, like, opinion where people are like, oh, I'm not disabled. Like, but I think I think a lot of it stems from the idea that disability is frowned upon. You know what I mean? Disability uh-huh, totally. can in many times be a dirty word. And a lot of people try to cover up like, oh, like, I mean, this is very useful for I try to be careful not to like, just, you know, totally rag on certain people who like to say like differently abled and things like that, because different communities use that as a good advocacy tool. Uh-huh. But you see that people can be hesitant to say the word disability. And I think it's not something to be ashamed of. And that also like, sometimes you need things and you know what I mean? Like, I like to think about it like this, like, sure. Someone with CF, for example, we go to Disney world and we get, you know, the sick person, a pass, I forget what it's called. It's like the customer health Mm -hmm. pass. And then we get to kind of quote unquote, either skip lines or we get to wait out lines in air conditioning or something like that. And it's like, for other people, it'd be like, ugh, like, why do these disabled people get these kind of perks? But at the same time, it's like, well, but to get here, you know, we had to do two hours of treatment. We had to, mm-hmm. you know, we have to make sure we're carrying a bunch of pills. We can't, we get, we overheat really easy. We dehydrate really easy. So it's like, you know, we're actually waiting the same amount of time. You know, it takes us as much time to, you know, have that kind of quote unquote advantage as, you know, a normal healthy person would have to wait in line for you know I feel like you know it's something that we have to recognize that you know we have see this is something that I think it helped me is that you know like I said I was raised by a doctor so I was never really taught I was quote-unquote normal and so I never had these expectations that you know I didn't need extra help and that extra help was good because you know I can do most things they can do a lot of things that most people can but, you know, sometimes I need the extra help. And, like, for example, I have a disability pass. And when I got it, I was like, yeah, sure, this absolutely makes sense. I might mm-hmm. not need it all the time. But I need it sometimes. And even on the days when I'm healthy, well, I'm still saving energy. I mean, for me, like, even on day, my good days, I still get tired pretty easy. I can, you know, fall into exacerbations pretty easy. So, like, you know, I think we have to be willing to accept even if maybe some people aren't ready to use the word disability. I think it's something that we are, we do have a disability Uh and maybe it's not as obvious all the time, but I think it's kind of like a matter of being kind to ourselves. You know, sometimes like, you know, it can be hard to kind of accept that label, but Mm. it's not a bad thing. It's not a dirty word and we need to be compassionate with ourselves and realize, you know, sometimes we need help and that's not, that's okay. You're definitely right. Um, <laughs> so we're sort of running out of time here. I got a few questions left. Yeah. Uh, first one: uh, Are you a fan of the Phantom Menace? Well, um, hmm. well, okay. My opinion on the prequels is: I will. I am. They're okay. They're. I don't hate them, but I also don't love them. So you're wrong so, there. They're awesome. I love yeah. them. I okay, love. I, have- I love Phantom Menace. I, I thought it was great. Um, I think I the pod racing is like my jam. Especially when I was little, I had the pod racing video game on Nintendo, and I loved it. Uh, so I am a big prequels guy, and I know not everyone yeah. is, but I uh, am disappointed to hear that you to hear that you uh, didn't love them. I don't. I don't dislike them. I had a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. I think they're important to the story overall. 
Um, but I do feel like in terms of like video that, you know, that like that it could have been edited more. Like, I think it could have been better is my opinion on them. Like, oh, there was so much potential. I enjoy them for what they are. They're a lot of fun. But I also know that like we could have we could have done better, guys. We could have <laughs> we could have we could have tightened up that dialogue there. And what do you think? What do you think <laughs> about the new ones? The most recent ones? I I kind of am like I, I consider them like fanfic i'm just kind of like because i also grew up with like the extended universe so i'm kind of like these i'm being presented with two possible realities but i'm also just like kyla like if anyone for those out there of you for the listeners who've read the now legends books you know that kylo ren kind of existed um but as a cooler much more nuanced character um so everyone so like the new series just feels a bit like knockoff of the extended universe but not as well written so i'm like you know i'm sad i'm like i'm accepting them i'm having a good time i really like the new characters i love ray i love finn i love poe but in how they're treating the old cast, I'm not that happy. That's my that's my feeling. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with you. I see. I kind of agree here. I um I really did like the uh, the Force Awakens. I re- I really enjoyed that one. I did not love the most recent one. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, the Last Jedi. Uh, yes, I, I did not love that. I thought Luke was like a throwaway character, and it was just stupid. Um, yeah. The one movie I did love though, I loved Rogue One. I thought Rogue oh, One I was really. Rogue one. I think- I thought that, that that's one, my yeah. that's like my favorite one of the newer movies. You know, I agree. Um, and I, it was just like it was the story was good. The it, it felt like quintessential Star Wars. It wasn't like the prequels where it was very animated, and it wasn't like the new ones where it was like reality Star Wars. It, like the new ones almost feel like as if they try to like inject real like real human physics into it, and it just yeah. it just seems a little off. Um, but Rogue One captured, I think, quintessential you know, old school Star Wars. Yeah. Like Rogue One slots in perfectly. Like when I watch, because I like to rewatch these all the time. When I rewatch the original trilogy, I always watch Rogue One first and it fits in perfectly with that watch. I really to- love totally, it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Rogue One is, is really good. Um, so, uh, also now I want to, speaking of movies, you've been a little outspoken about the forthcoming movie, five feet apart. Um, uh, yes. why, why, why is that? Okay. I, like I've listened to your guys' podcast on it, and I share a lot of your feelings. Where I feel like one, it's a really it's setting a bad example for kids. Like I'm, you know, I kind of I do hope that kids would be, you know, are willing to like, you know, understand, you know, the safety protocols and like. But like I feel like, firstly, it's kind of romanticizing a bad situation. I feel like, you know, it, it falls into a frame of literature that I've been really critical about called, like, sick lit, where oh, totally. there have uh-huh. been books about, like, CF, and it's kind of a romanticization of, like, being sick for the sake of making a healthy audience sad. So I'm really critical of that because it's, like, reducing these characters to their illness, um, which isn't great. Like, I'm very open about, like, CF is a part of me, and if I could go back in time, you know, would I still except being sick with CF. And I'd say, yes, it's become a part of me. It's a part of, it's a part of my identity, but it's not the only part of my identity. So when we see movies like that, where it's like, oh, they're sick and like their lives are controlled by their illness, that's kind of like a bad precedence and also just like not great. I'm, I'm, a, I'm really in agreement that not all awareness is good awareness. I don't think it's going to ruin my life, but I definitely know that after this movie, I'm probably going to have to deal with some more annoying questions or assumptions yep. about CF. Um, I just really wish that, you know, they had taken 
like, I think a lot of people are saying, like, I really wish they had, like, talked to more people in the CF community and chosen a different story. Like, I feel like I would love to see a CF love story, but they chose a love story that I don't really see as a love story. I see it as kind of like Romeo and Juliet in its truest form, where it's like two kids making bad decisions and the tragedy is that, like, no one was there to stop them. <laughs> and... You know, this has happened in real life. And whenever I, you know, you know, it was based off, you know, a true story of two teens that did make this decision and it ended badly. And I see that as a tragedy, not as like, you know, a romance, but as something where it's like, oh, that's really sad. And, you know, I, I know a lot of CFers who are married and have found love with other people that, you know, don't have CF. And I would really love to see one of those stories if we're going to mm -hmm. do a romance. I just... One, I would have wanted something that's truer to the CF experience. And it just kind of feels like, I mean, I'm also really critical about things like The Vault and Our Stars. There's a lot of good, um, can't think of any you know, authors at the top of my head, but a lot of people that I've known with juvenile um, cancer talked a lot about how these pieces like also romanticize cancer and, you know, don't really take into the into account the humanity of, you know, the characters on screen. So it's kind of like, it feels like the same thing that happened to cancer in terms of like the Vault in Our Stars and like um, My Sister's Keeper, just kind of like those, um, what's a walk to remember, like that kind of thing is now happening to CF. So I'm just like, oh, we're just graduating from cancer to CF in terms of what can we do to make healthy people cry about these poor teenagers who lives suck completely and there's no hope for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything you're saying is, is was validated, in my opinion, validated when, you know, with what, all they're doing around the PR around the movie and the promotion of it. And, you know, I remember seeing a tweet, they like, you know, played a little part of the movie and it was, you know, you're not crying, we're crying kind of thing, you know? And like, yeah. that's, that, that whole thing just pushes me the wrong way. Like, I, I yeah. don't feel sad about my, my life. I don't feel pity for myself. Like, yeah, I'm dealing with a really serious thing. It's just just part of my life yeah I have a job though I also coach high school ice hockey I do all these things but I have CF as well you know I'm yeah. not you know I'm not sitting in a room and just feeling bad for myself you know it's not, I'm not totally consumed with the illness so yeah. um, you know I, I agree with everything you're saying and I also think back to what you you know what Carrie Fisher said to you where someone else is developing the narrative of cystic fibrosis for you in this case yeah. and that is what really irks me because you know I have seen you know enough of the previews and I know enough of the story from the book and all that stuff that I am I do not identify whatsoever with the people that are being portrayed as cystic fibrosis mm -hmm. patients and I think it, it just does an injustice to the entire community it's like yeah. and, and, and there's just no sense of ownership from the, the writers and the production side like oh we're doing this really great thing for people with cystic fibrosis no you're not you know, mm -hmm. you're doing a terrible thing for us. You're 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 creating an identity that you know a lot of us don't believe in, and it's just the whole thing is just you know, a big, big pile of misinformation. And it's you know every time I, yeah. I, I even I, not only do I see it or I hear about it, I just it just frustrates the hell out of me. So oh yeah, I'm really yeah, I just, it really angers me. I'm gonna echo what you guys said in your podcast, which that it just it just seems completely tone deaf. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also like it it points to a larger problem that Hollywood has of you know, not including disabled voices. And that includes people with CF. So I think it's something where we're being ignored as, you know, independent thinking, feeling people. And I know plenty of CFers who are writers, who are good writers. It's like, you know, there could have been more people, you know, we could have had CFs on, CFers on the team. And it just feels like, you know, it's like it's a pity party, but not a party where you want to understand me. You know, yeah, I don't totally. like it when people have pity for me. I appreciate when people have compassion for me. But that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I appreciate when people realize, like, you know, Elsie's having a hard time. 
you know, she's really sick and, you know, like my friends are really good, for example, like they'll bring me food when I'm sick, they'll come visit me, um, but they don't infantilize me. They don't treat me like a little baby who doesn't understand what's happening or who needs, you know, my friends don't come to my bedside and cry over me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm still a person. I still have feelings. And, you know, CFers have a tough time. You know, a lot of things are harder. Um, I've lost friends. You've lost friends, Leia. Um, and, you know, it's it's sad. There are a lot of parts about CF that are tragic. But our lives aren't a complete tragedy. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to see us with compassion and be like, you know what, that's hard. But a lot of things are hard for a lot of people. And... I don't want to be only a tragedy. I mean, I want people to recognize that parts of my life can be sad and can be hard and, you know, aren't always fair, but that's the way it is. You know, it's it's kind of like, it's it's not a nuanced view that what's happening in the movie. It's not an understanding that, you know, it's 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 sad. You know, this, mm -hmm. the part of it that's sad in the movie is just that they're sick and that like, oh, their tragic love can never be. But the real parts of CF that are sad are, is that, you know, that, that is a part of it, that it's lonely, that we can't, you know, always be friends in person. But, you know, I'd rather watch a movie about, like, you know, two friends who are, you know, talking online and that kind of sadness is that they can't meet in person and can't give each other a hug. Whereas, like, in this movie, it's like, oh, if we touch each other's hands, we'll die and we're breaking the rules. It feels more like, oh, we're rebellious teenagers and we want to be cool rather than, like, you know, it, it sucks. It's rather, you know, it's not like, oh, it sucks. It's like, Oh no, look how sad these people are. Isn't mm -hmm. that terrible? Weep. Weep all of you healthy people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're totally right. Um all right, so we're, we're we're pretty much out of time, so we always like to give our guests the final word of the podcast. Um if you could give advice to uh to people uh to anyone, you can give any kind of advice you want to give, but you know, I you know we we you were talking a lot about uh, being uh, at college right now and being open about your CF. So uh, if you could give advice to either other college students or people who are going to be heading to college in the fall, what would that be? Yeah, my advice would be never be afraid to talk about your illness. It's a part of you, and it's not a part of you that you should be ashamed of. Um, you know, like I think practice ways, you know, just simple ways you can explain it to friends. You know, you don't have to walk up to a friend and be like, you know, to a person you're trying to become friends with is like, hi, my name is Elsie. I'm dying. Like, don't, don't do that. Um, just, you know, say like, oh, like, you know, it'll come up naturally. You know, people might see you taking your enzymes. You know, it just don't be afraid to say, oh, I have a chronic illness called cystic fibrosis. And this is what it is. Be willing to talk to your teachers. Be willing to talk to your friends because, you know, you'll find friends who are really willing to be with you and to be compassionate with you and you never know where help can come from there's a lot of good people out in the world and sometimes you need help so don't be afraid to one talk about your illness two don't be afraid to accept help and number three don't be afraid to realize that sometimes you can't do things sometimes you know it seems like you know you might want to go to a party but you know you're already not feeling well you're worried you might get an exacerbation it's okay to step back it's okay to do something else it's okay to recognize your limitations you know i'm i really take precautions i'm very, i'm super vigilant i wear a mask all the time like a surgical mask i wear it to class because i'm in big busy classrooms where no one covers their mouth when they cough and you know people might look at me weird but it's okay to you know you know treat your health as number 1 and not worry about what other people might think. And if people have questions, you can always explain it to them. 
Well, that is really good advice. <clears throat> Elsie, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, this is a great episode. Uh, for all of you who are watching on YouTube, I apologize for not having video feed this week. We're doing an audio podcast. Um, so I hope you enjoyed watching the single picture the entire time of the podcast. Um, <laughs> otherwise, we record every Thursday. Uh, that's when we're posting our podcasts. Um, you can catch us on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and GunnarAsiason.com. Uh, you can get a, a hold of us uh, at breathe underscore in underscore pod on Instagram and our email address is that also at breathe underscore in underscore pod at esiason.org uh, I'm Gunnar Esiason Elsie where can people follow you? You can follow me at 65 Pink Roses on Twitter Tumblr Instagram and YouTube Alright cool well Elsie thank you so much enjoy your final year at Harvard I wish I was back in college those are the best days of my life uh, so make <laughs> sure you enjoy this final semester uh, I know you start in a few days so uh, good luck with it and uh, we will definitely be following up with you Thanks so much and thanks for having me guys uh, Thanks everyone we'll see you next week